Well, welcome back, y'all, to the Practice Makes Faithful podcast. Today, we are in episode nine, and we are starting a brand new series. So I am joined today by our lead minister, as always, Paul. Well, first off, let me tell you my name. I'm Ben Patterson, yeah. um, and I'm joined by our lead minister, Paul Hugermark. Hey, good to see you, Ben. Uh, nice to be here. Yes, sir. Episode nine. Yes, episode nine. And today is a little different for us. It probably is. not when y'all listen to this. But um, today we're actually recording on a Sunday. We usually record we on Mondays. Yeah. Uh, we're recording on Sunday because you're going to be out of town on Monday. That's right. Yeah, be out of town all, all week. If you're watching this on YouTube, you see me in my Sunday fresh. Yes. So uh, if you're just listening on podcast, you'll, you're missing out on that. You see it's, me in my regular really casual much. attire because okay. I apparently don't dress fresh for Sunday. I, the Magellan I, is fresh enough for it's me. It's fresh, Ben. Super yes. fresh. Super fresh. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I'll be uh, at Exponential uh, in Orlando this whole week. Uh, going cool. down with a group from What is Exponential? So Exponential is a... Uh, Large uh, disciple making, uh, multiplication, as implied by the name, type conference. So yeah. it uh, began, I think, really focused um, on, on church planters mm-hmm. and church planters planting multiplying movements. Okay. Really. So exponentially growing movements. Um, is expanded to really uh, to engage with those of us who are in uh, existing, we call that sometimes legacy or prevailing or attractional churches, basically churches that have existed for a while. Okay. We weren't just planted, but are also looking toward, uh, to make the turn toward uh, being part of multiplying movements. And so that's, that's really what Exponential does. So, uh, so I'm going down with Renew.org, uh, Discipleship.org as well, kind of in partnership. Um, and we'll be sharing a couple of times there. Uh, one of the things that I'll, I'll be talking about is, is how we kind of lean into this uh, hybrid, attractional, disciple-making movement principle type church. And so that's, that's, uh, that's what we'll be focused on. So uh, I'll be sharing a little bit from, from an article that I read or that I wrote for, uh, that was actually came out on discipleship.org on mm-hmm. Saturday. So we can, if anybody's interested, we can put that, post that in the bio so that you can see kind of some of the things that we're about here at Grace Chapel, but also what we'll be talking about at Exponential. So excited That's for awesome. that opportunity. It's going to be a lot of fun. That's awesome. Very cool. Very cool. So yeah, we're recording today on Sunday. That's going to be an awesome opportunity. Mm-hmm. So glad you're getting to do that. Um, and today we are, we're fresh off of our sermon and diving into this new series called With You Always. With You Always. Yeah. This is the kind of the tagline. Is it's a series about the indwelling work of the Holy Spirit. Yes. So yes. I've been excited about this one. Yep. I think this is going to be pretty cool. I'm looking forward to diving into this all month. And uh, as, we, as we get going with it, would you just tell us a little bit about the idea for this series of what, what inspired this series about the indwelling work of the Spirit? Yeah, so um, you know, two things that I've become convinced of in the last several years when we're looking at the idea of renewal, which happens at the individual level, revival, which happens at the church level, um, and then uh, awakening, which is kind of more at the community or larger mm-hmm. area level. Um, those all go under the heading, in, in my mind, my thinking, Acts 3.19, times of refreshing. You know, and that's, that's what we want in our lives, times of refreshing. Well, Acts 3.19, yeah. Peter tells that group of people that that will come from, from experiencing the presence of God or from God sending mm-hmm. His presence mm-hmm. to be with them is they will experience these times of refreshing. So it's the presence of God and then the work of the Spirit of God. So it's through the Holy Spirit that he's sending that presence. You know, Acts 2.38, I'm familiar with that verse as well. Uh, Peter talks with a crowd just the chapter before, makes a very similar promise. He says, you know, repent and be baptized, and all of you will receive, you know, the gift of the Holy Spirit, forgiveness of sins. And so, um, so there's this really powerful promise that is made two times um, within a space of two chapters, Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 3, 
that if we will give our lives over to Jesus, both both places, he says, repent. So no more my way, now we're going to his way. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So basically, when the people of God embrace um, you know, faithfulness to the things of God, and then when the people of God experience the presence of God, that is what sets, that is what paves the way for things like renewal, revival, and awakening. Again, all kind of under that heading of times of refreshing. So repentance comes in that. So all of that kind of comes together. So, you know, especially that I, we're really passionate about seeing renewal, revival, awakening happen here at Grace Chapel within mm-hmm. our community. We want to see that happen within our nation. And so um, one of the things that we've talked about often is the need for the people of God to be faithful to the things of God. You know, so a radical faithfulness to the things of God by the people of God. Um, preached several series that, that really, uh, really kind of lean into that. Um, been spending the last two years of my life writing, writing a book that we'll talk about more at some point in time as we uh, get into this, really talking about repentance. And the whole idea of that is that, you know, we need this kind of revival and it's repentance that ushers in the presence of God as promised by Acts 3.19. Well, we can talk about the repentance piece, I think, till we're blue in the face if we don't actually go to the next piece and talk about how much we need the presence of God for the working yeah. of God. Yeah. Then, then we're only halfway there, which honestly probably puts us not even a part of the way there. Or maybe mm-hmm. it's, maybe it's mm-hmm. like we've just started the journey what we need for the rest of the journey is the presence of God. And so really that's what the series is all about. It's, it's about us having a conversation that we don't have nearly enough mm-hmm. about the way that the Holy Spirit indwells us so we have the presence of God and then that, how the way the presence of God actually makes possible the work of God. Mm-hmm. So, so we'll be talking about that for, for this month. It's really good. I love that. And I... I mean, it seems so clear in Scripture that the Holy Spirit is so important, yes. right? I mean, like, we see Him mm-hmm. from the first page of Scripture, that yep. He's, you know, brooding over the waters right. from the language in Scripture, and it's so clear that He is so, so essential. Right. I and mean, Jesus talks Absolutely. about it, like, I've been in the Gospel of John a lot lately, preparing for our Youth Night series, yes. and Jesus talks about over and over promising again. the Spirit, even says mm-hmm. stuff that's just wild to us, and we hear, like, he says, it's greater for me that I leave yes. so that the Spirit that's comes right. to you, and yes. a lot of times that doesn't align with the way we Not think about the Spirit, and I imagine we'll circle back to that, talk about yeah. some of that later yeah. on, yeah. but... It is clear that he is so important, so important. in our lives, Vital. in the work, in yeah, the work I think of the church. Say he's, he's the main character in the book of Acts. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and we, I've we even heard these... it said, like, it's better to call that not the Acts of the Apostles, right, but the Acts, the of, Acts the of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit working through that, Correct. working through the church. But for some reason, we don't talk about him that much. Right. Again, I don't mean we yeah. being me and you personally, but we as the church, we in culture, maybe me and you personally, we don't talk about him enough. But... Um, in general, it seems the church and certainly culture at large yes. doesn't want a lot to do with the Holy Spirit. Right. I mean, there might be some acceptance of, oh, Jesus is a cool guy, even from culture at yep. large. Right. But the Holy Spirit is kind of, that's that's wacky yes. stuff pushed to the side. Like, why is that? Why do we avoid talking about the Spirit, I mean, both in culture yeah. and in the church, too? Um, yeah, it's good. Yeah. So, so we'll begin with culture, if we can. Okay. Um, yeah say this, I shared a couple of quotes in, in Sunday's message um, that, that I think really kind of start to shed a little bit of light on why we, uh, why we don't, within culture, acknowledge the presence of the Holy Spirit. And it really begins with the fact that we in culture don't really acknowledge the presence of anything spiritual. Mm. 
We'll, mm -hmm. we'll touch on that just mm -hmm. a little bit more as we go. So let me try to, I think, in a, in a sort of methodical or logical way, try to paint this picture uh, okay. for, for all of us. Um, so, you know, th there's this quote by this guy named Peter Kraft. Peter Kraft uh, was a Christian philosopher, um, very, very wise guy, and enjoy reading him. Um, so Peter Kraft said this, he said, for the vast majority of people who've ever called planet Earth home, believing in God just made sense. Right, so, so for the vast majority of people who have ever called planet, planet Earth home, and probably for a large portion of people who call planet Earth home still today, believing in God makes sense. You follow that up with yeah. what Charles Taylor said um, in, in this book called A Secular Age. Um, he puts it this way. He says, While it was, why was it virtually impossible not to believe in God, say in 1500, in our Western society, so 1500 in Western society, we're talking predominantly still uh, in, in Europe. Um, obviously, 1492, Columbus had just made the trek over uh, to this side of the pond. But, you know, so predominantly in Western Europe, why was it impossible not to believe in God, says Taylor, while in 2000, so fast forward 500 years, many of us find this not only easy, again, to not believe in God, but even inescapable. In a sense, belief in God, Taylor is saying, makes little sense to most people in the Western world today. And I think we have to acknowledge yeah. that, that, that even that piece of it is true. And so we've got this major hurdle to... Um, and and that, that, that's, that's a Western thing, right? It, it like is, that's a Western thing. Less yes. in Eastern world, other right. cultural contexts. Right. Okay. That's something. Yeah, so if you, go, if you go to Africa among African Christians, among African spiritualists, Latin America is true. You go to the Eastern world. Still, it, it's amazing, you know, even in China where they've tried to stamp out God for years mm -hmm. to make it an entirely secular society. Um, still in China, there's this belief that there's kind of a spirit behind everything. Yeah. You know, and yeah. so, yeah, it's, it's really here in the Western world that we have moved to this place where we want any explanation but mm -hmm. the spiritual. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we'll, we'll touch on that a little bit more. But um, Taylor, Taylor says that, that there are three reasons that has happened. What he calls that is, you know, he says that God's presence retreated in three dimensions. Okay. Um, basically what he's saying, there are three reasons why, why this has happened. And he says, you know, the, the reality is that at one point in time, and much of the world still does, by the way, but at one point in time, the Western world, in our Western world, people saw even natural events as acts of God. Okay, so that's so the first what we reason. Call, okay. Yeah, what we would call a natural event. So we're talking about, you know, a storm. We're talking about the birth of a child. We're talking about, you know, what you see when you get to the top of a tall mountain. You hike there, you see that. You know, when you're standing oh. by the ocean, you see the waves rolling in, where a good portion of us would still look at those things and say, man, especially those of us who are Christians, we would look at those oh. things and say, isn't God amazing? The reality is for most of the world, they would look at that and say, isn't random chance amazing that all this just happened by random chance, right? And so, yeah. you know, people once saw those, all of that, all of that. I mean, the majority of people saw that as act of God. Well, We're that's now, a good point. I think, you know, in some of that, it seems mm -hmm. that as we've maybe gained in some scientific understanding of right. how those things sure, happen. And that's fair. We've stopped to credit God for those things just because mm -hmm. we can understand some of the scientific, right. but that doesn't mean right. God wasn't involved. That's, that's good. Yeah, so, so what I said yeah. in the message was, you know, that the God is, God is behind, that God is responsible for science. Yeah, yeah. You know, so we shouldn't allow for ourselves, and we, we fall into this trap as Christians sometimes to pit science and God against each yeah. other. That we shouldn't fall into that trap. God is behind all of what science can yeah. explain. And so, yeah. so we've got to be careful to not fall into that trap. Um, Taylor's second reason is this, is that people once saw even just the existence of society as evidence for the existence of God. 
So when you see the way that society works together, that cultures build and develop, that people are drawn to each other, even in that, people once looked at that and said, well, see, this is God's handiwork. God is the reason mm -hmm. that we love each mm -hmm. other, even that people love each other, that people are drawn to each other. And even with all the mess that we see in society, we certainly see all the mess in the world today. I mean, the stuff that's happening in Ukraine, we haven't even talked about that. I mean, it's, it's just, it's absolutely insanity. But why yeah. do we as human beings, as we watch these things on the news, why are we so deeply moved for these people we have no connection with whatsoever? Mm -hmm. You know, when you see an image of, you know, uh, you know, uh, a mother running into the ER with, with a child yeah. wrapped in yeah. swaddling clothes. And why, why do our hearts go out so deeply? Is it just because we have empathy and can imagine ourselves in that situation? Or is it because somehow God has woven the fabric mm. of humanity mm -hmm. together? I think, so even mm -hmm. in that, there was, there was more of an awareness of that 500 years ago than there is today. And so yeah. the, the, even that was looked at as evidence for God. And then the last people That's is good. this. Now the last one is this, is that people, uh, Taylor says that people once lived in an enchanted world, but now we live in a state of disenchantment. What so instead that? of an enchanted world, we're now disenchanted with the world. So uh, enchanted is almost, you know, kind of like what uh, the, the idea that C.S. Lewis uh, expresses as well. And I think maybe even Taylor gets this from C.S. Lewis to some degree that, <clears throat> again, there's something behind everything. Okay. You know, something behind everything. Um, if we were to be able to raise the veil, we would know that there is, I mean, as C.S. Lewis says, magic. And what he doesn't mean is actually magic. Yeah. What he means is, you know, the working of something supernatural. Yeah. And so people once lived in a place where, you know, that, Taylor uses the thinking of enchanted world where, where we were able to see the supernatural everywhere. Okay. Everywhere and in everything. But now we live in kind of a disenchanted world. We've taken the enchantment out of, world, <clears throat> out of the world and we made it just kind of easy to, you know, <clears throat> easy to explain just about everything that we mm -hmm. see. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so Taylor talks a little bit about why, uh, why that happened, you know, and obviously, you know, things like the enlightenment, you know, uh, modernity, you know, again, uh, modernity, um, as, as we started applying the scientific method and other things, again, nothing against the scientific method. We're, we're, we're all for that in ways, but when we get to the point where we are truly naturalists and that we believe that everything can be explained, um, or that if something can't be explained, then maybe if it doesn't even yeah. exist, yeah. you know, so, so the way I said that, um, you know, on Sunday morning was that in the modern age, everything required a measurable and natural explanation. And then the, the side effect of that is if it couldn't be measured, it likely didn't exist. I mean, that was yeah. the conclusion yeah. that, that it likely didn't exist. Well, you, can you measure God? You know, if, if there's a miracle, let's just talk about miracles. If there was a miracle, well, the scientific method is only set up to measure things that are consistently repeatable. Mm -hmm. So here's this repeatable process and over and over and over again, I can test this. And if I can test it over and over again, then I can prove it, then it's real. Yeah. Well, if a miracle happens over here, can you go, you can recreate that miracle? You know, so, so miracles by nature are supernatural intrusions at, at times, you know, and I think we could also say that there are some things that maybe we say are natural that really the working of God is behind, and so maybe those should be considered miraculous as well. But the way, the way most of us think about miracles, it's a supernatural intrusion into the natural world. You can't go and reproduce that. You weren't responsible for it anyway. It was God who made that happen. And so, you know, that's kind of a, that's kind of a big deal, you know, that um, we want those things that are repeatable and measurable. But the reality is that spirituality doesn't offer us that opportunity. What's interesting as you talk about that, because I've heard, um, heard N.T. Wright talk mm -hmm. about kind of that idea before and mm -hmm. talk about how we have sort of, we've come up with this category of like a miraculous or natural. Yes. And we've put these in these 
distinctly separate yep. boxes, yep. but sometimes those don't need to be separated. Agreed. Like something can be, just because we can explain it scientifically, shouldn't make it any less miraculous. Doesn't mean that God wasn't moving. Maybe an ancient right. person, they looked up, they yes. saw the rain come down, they thought, oh, this is miraculous because they can't explain it. Now we can explain the rain coming down so we don't right. think it's miraculous. Yes. How's that any less miraculous? It's the working yes. of God. And uh, I, so I totally, totally yeah, we see, see that. Psalms it makes where so David much acknowledges sense. that all of those things are the handiwork of God. Yeah. You know, so all these yeah. things are the handiwork of God. You know, again, that that's the product of naturalism. So I yeah. shared the definition of naturalism in uh, in the message. You know, it's basically mm -hmm. this: it's a philosophical belief that everything arises from natural properties and causes. Okay, so that's it's not that some things arise from natural properties and causes. Everything arises from natural properties and causes. And then beyond that, the second part yeah. of that, that supernatural or spiritual explanations are excluded or discounted. Yeah. So that's, yeah. that is naturalism. So if you land on naturalism, if you say, well, there has to be a naturalistic explanation for everything, then of course, so you know, here's, the, here's the cultural piece. <laughs> We've kind of taken a long way around mm -hmm. on this one, but the cultural piece is, is, is that, if that is the story that our culture is telling, if that is what our school systems are teaching, which, which is predominantly true about the public school system. Um, we're teaching naturalism, we're teaching secularism, we're teaching, you know, again, it's, it's philosophical naturalism that leads you to the place where you determine that there is no place for any sort of spiritual or super, supernatural mm -hmm. explanation. Mm -hmm. we're, only looking at, um, we're only looking at natural processes. Then in culture, we set ourselves up for being a people who have no room for the spiritual whatsoever. Mm -hmm. I mean, we just have no room for it whatsoever. You know, I think that's, that's, that's the truth about us in the Western world. We have a difficulty making room for, for spiritual realities. And, and the truth of it is that it's affecting us who call ourselves Christians as well. Mm -hmm. You know, so, um, you know, maybe that leads us to the place but, where we could talk about the church a little bit. But Well, yeah, yeah. let me just mm -hmm. echo, echo that and agree with you there and just say I, I found it interesting in this, in this podcast. One thing that's been very helpful for mm -hmm. me is how we've been looking at how much culture Yes. Has, does influence yeah. the church thank, thank in so many ways. I think we saw, like if you go back to the beginning of this year, we right. had a series, A Better Story, the first kind of four parts of this podcast where we were talking about the influence of postmodernism and this yes. idea of relativism, of uh, as there's secularism to some extent, yes. of how yeah. that has yes. influenced the church. And now maybe we're going back a dial and looking at how modernism right. has influenced the church and modernism so looking at the scientific method yes. of naturalism of it's just I think it's really yeah, it's so, really so fascinating look that, to look at that. A way we could delineate that is is postmodernism has really le led to this embrace of secular humanism mm -hmm. where we are the pinnacle of all things as human beings. Um, therefore we again we define what is right in this world. We mm -hmm. can find what is truth in this world. Again, we're, we're capable of navigating our own path toward morality. Even if we take a step back again into modernity, what you see, it also led to secularism, but a different type of secularism. It led to, again, philosophical naturalism, where everything had to be explained through natural processes. It left no room for the spiritual. In reality is that post-modernity has rebelled against that piece, yeah. but still held on to a large chunk of secularism. Um, you know, so maybe that's a way of kind of, you know, if you've been listening with us this whole time through since, since the beginning of January, maybe that's a way of trying to delineate those two just a little bit. And maybe just to put a timeline on that, like generally modernity kind of defined yeah. like the 20th century largely, right? Yeah, and even um, before that to some degree, I mean, I think we could go back to the Enlightenment to say those were the beginning yeah, movements okay. of modernity or where, 
modernity found its roots. And you can go back to the early 20th century to start finding places where postmodernity started to work its way in. In fact, I mean, you can see C.S. Lewis talking about that in the 50s so, so clearly. Um, but that's only become, postmodernity has only yes. become like the dominant idea here in the 21st century in the last, uh, in the last few decades, I would yeah, say, I'd right? Say, I'd say probably the last three decades where the influence of postmodernity is assumed, wh where maybe the rightness of postmodernity yeah. is just assumed. Okay. Yeah. Although okay. there is some pushback against it, but yeah, I'd say that's correct. Yeah. I'd say that's, that's good. Fair. Yeah. And again, what has resulted is that many of us are almost blind to the, you know, I think to the, to the spiritual work or spiritual yeah. world at work around us. Um, you know, that, that is okay, so it's, bringing both of us good. together. So let's bring that question. Let's go. Let's connect back with that question of why do we avoid talking about the Holy Spirit? We've really, I think, looked at that. Why is that in culture, right? Yes. So let's look at that in the church. Let's zone into that part. Yeah. Well, one, we, we're very influenced by the culture around us. Yeah. I mean, again, <laughs> we talked about the fact that if we're not aware of what is happening in the culture around us, we're likely to be influenced and not even know that we're being influenced. So we're extremely influenced by the culture around us. That's the first piece that we have to acknowledge. So. Um, you know, the reality is that, that you and I, as we live our lives, as, as culture pours into us, um, if we don't have something else pouring into us that actually starts to maybe replace that culture and push it out in a sense or replace what culture puts into us from time to time, we're going to be just like the people of culture. So if the people of culture have no room for spiritual things, mm -hmm. um, then, then we're going to start to think about God sometimes in almost... Uh, almost in a way that's devoid of spiritual terms, which mm -hmm. is mm -hmm. crazy to think of because, I mean, Scripture tells us God is spirit. Yeah. Um, you know, so, so here we are as, as uh, Christian people um, who, who are influenced by the world, but even if we start to see that there is this tension between what the world is telling us and what we read in Scripture, what we read in the Bible, the words of God, what we read in John, whether it be, uh, you know, I mean, John talks so much about the Spirit um, and has Jesus, shows Jesus talking about the Spirit so much, but then Paul talks about, Apostle Paul talks about the Spirit and the way the Spirit works in our, over and over and over again. We see the work of the Spirit. So we start to see there is this, um, there is a tension. I mean, there's, there's a definite yeah. tension between yeah. what, the, what the culture is telling us, the world is telling us, and what we're reading uh, in the Word of God. Even when we get to that place, we still struggle with coming over what to, to where what the Word of God is saying fully because we are, as people, afraid of what those in culture may think about us mm -hmm. or even afraid of what those Christians who are more influenced by culture than we are might think about us. We'll be thought of as strange if we start to see God behind mm -hmm. everything, Yeah, right? God working in everything. And so I think sometimes it's just a little bit of fear. And then in, in reality, and we'll talk about this a lot more next week, um, <clears throat> you know, some of us are... We've seen the abuse in, uh, in some charismatic churches mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. of the gifts of the Spirit. I mean, yeah. I, I tell about being, you know, I tell about an experience, and I'll talk about this uh, probably a little bit more next week, but just real quickly, you know, as I was searching for faith after kind of walking away from faith, I went to a number of different churches and had a, had a pretty bad experience at a charismatic church that really turned me off from anything like that. Now, again, in this series, I'm not gonna be advocating at all for, uh, for an adoption of charismatic gifts, but very much will be advocating for desiring the presence of God, whatever that means, right? Mm -hmm. So instead of putting limits on what the work of the Spirit could look like in our midst as a people, 
we should desire the outpouring of the Spirit so much that we're willing to say, whatever that looks like, we yeah. want it. Yeah. We want it. And so <clears throat> I think, you know, I think you have that in the church. You know, again, we're afraid of what others will think of us. We've looked around and we've seen abuses. We've seen things that just appear very strange mm -hmm. and we don't want that. And so we're just not sure where we fit in in that. So I think that maybe accounts for some of what we see in the church. That's good. I think that's helpful. <clears throat> so talk to us a little bit more about this week's <clears throat> message. I think we've laid the groundwork of a lot of it, right? Yeah. But you kind of transition from that point in the message. You transitioned from talking about the cultural aspect. And then we kind of talked about uh, some scriptural uh, you talked about a story yeah. in Second Kings. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about that, about what else, what else you went into. Yeah, yeah. So, so what's really cool is, I mean, we're not, we're not the only people who've ever tried to find, or have ever been struggling as we try to find our way in a world that to our eyes appears nothing but physical, but we want to believe is much more than just physical. Well, we're not the only ones. There's this really cool story out of Second uh, Kings uh, chapter 6, and if anybody wants to read this, uh, they can do that. It's Second uh, Kings 6, 8 through 17. <clears throat> it's this, this crazy story where um, there was this king of Aram, a, na a neighboring nation, uh, you know, about, um, what we'll say, 3,600 years or so ago um, in, in Palestine where, where Israel was. So modern-day Israel, you had the nation of Aram, Arameans, uh, just outside a bordering nation, and, and they were always at war. So, I mean, if you read through, you know, all the way from Joshua on through Judges, then into, you know, definitely the time of the kings as well, um, it seems like Israel was always at war with some of the neighboring nations, whether it be the Philistines, um, you know, whether it be the Arameans, there are others in, as well in there as well. Um, so... Um, Really, really kind of cool and neat story in that uh, there was a prophet in the land at the time. So Israel had a prophet. Um, the Arameans, the Aramean king, would set up ambushes to try to find uh, either Israel's army, it sounds like, or maybe just the king of Israel as he was passing from place to place would set up ambushes with his army so that he could take out Israel's king and they wouldn't have to go to war, to actual maybe armed conflict. Um, army to army, the way they would face off, you know, see the white of their eyes kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And so he, he determined he was going to depose of the king, basically. It sounds like an assassination attempt, in a sense. And so um, he would set up these ambushes, and somehow, every time he set up an ambush where he knew the king was going to be, the king wasn't there. Okay. Israel's army wasn't there, somehow, every time this keep ha keeps happening. So, in fact, the text says, you know, he would set up uh, you know, an ambush at such and such a place. Um, and at that place, the king wasn't there. The king of Israel wasn't there. And so he starts to wonder, what is going on? Do I have a spy in my camp? He accuses his guys and says, one of you guys is ratting us out. Which one of you is it? And so there comes this moment where one of his general's officer stands up and says, hey, it, it's not any one of us. There's a prophet in Israel. His name is Elisha. And he is the one, he hears your, your most secretive words. He knows every time you speak and he's reporting it to the king of Israel so that every time we're, they're going from place to place, we go there to try to cut them off, to have this assassination attempt. What happens is they avoid us. They know we're not there. So the king of Aram decides, okay, well, if I can't take out the king of Israel because this prophet in Israel is uh, giving away all my secrets, then I'm gonna go take out the prophet. So he shows up in this, this, uh, this town, the this city. He surrounds the city at night. Um, 
Elisha's servant wakes up in the morning. He goes out and he sees all around this town called Dothan. He sees horses and chariots of the enemy surrounding the town. No, no way for escape. And so he runs in a panic back to Elisha, his master. And he says, oh, no, what are we going to do? We're lost. There's nothing we can mm-hmm. do. And it's almost like Elisha has this very calming moment where he says to him, hey, don't worry about this. Because those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Now, imagine the servant's response at that point in time as he looks around and he's like, where are these people who are with us? I don't see an army here. You know, is is the king of Israel, did he raise up his army and I didn't know about it? I mean, he he doesn't even respond verbally. I think his nonverbal response was enough for Elisha to know he doesn't know what I'm talking about. And so it's in that moment that Elisha prays that his servant's eyes would be opened. And obviously he's not talking about his physical eyes because with his physical eyes, he had just walked out early that morning to physically see all of the physical soldiers and horses that were surrounding the town. They were toast. He knew they were, they were in trouble. Um, so he's not saying God opened his physical eyes, mm-hmm. but he does say open his eyes so mm-hmm. that he may see. So he's talking about something else, his spiritual eyes. So when Elisha prays that, his servant goes back out and he sees with now spiritual eyes these horses and chariots of fire surrounding the enemy and, and all of a sudden sees this whole new reality that he'd never seen before. Again, so even in a culture where yeah. people accepted the reality of the spiritual, it didn't mean that people always saw the reality of the spiritual. I mean, I, I described Elisha as a, as a prophet, which meant that God both talked to him and through him. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so Elisha had this relationship with God that, man, I, I would love to have with God to where God would be revealing to me things that I can't see with my physical eyes all the time. Yeah. So he had this incredible relationship with God. In this moment, he's, he, he enables through prayer or God enables his servant to see some of the things that he'd been seeing everywhere he went. And in this moment, this man who had only seen things with physical eyes before now sees things with spiritual eyes, you know, and I think it's just such a great story for us because the servant struggle is our struggle. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, it's our struggle. We, we see things with our physical eyes, but how often do we have our spiritual eyes opened mm-hmm. so that all of a sudden we see a whole new world that we wouldn't have seen any other way? So I think really, really powerful That's story. That's a little bit uh, kind of gives you an idea of where we were in this week's message. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and we need, we need an experience like that to some degree. Mm. Love that. I love that. So that's really cool. Just as a, mm-hmm. as a story of, uh, of being almost, almost a little bit of a, uh, I use the word awakening of a, of a revelation yeah. of something. Uh, that absolutely. It's a greater reality taking place there. That's yep. so good. So kind of as you came to a close in yep. that, in the message, you, asked that question mm-hmm. of what what would we see if our eyes were truly opened to all that's spiritual yeah and kind of landed on this yeah. this call to us that yes. we need to begin to open our hearts and our minds to this yeah so I guess I would wonder what, what what does that mean and as we kind of are starting to boil this down to asking 
our question that we want to think about every week yes. is our podcast is Practice Makes Faithful. That's right. Of how do we practice this? How do we start to open our eyes to this spiritual reality? I mean, it may not be actually seeing the flaming chariot in the sky, although right. that'd be pretty cool. If yes. someone does, please, please shoot us an email and let That's us right. know. That's right. We'd love to talk about that. Um, but uh, what does that look like? Like, how do we yeah. practice this? I think if we could return to that, that first question, what would we see if our eyes were truly open to all that is spiritual? I think, you know, for the sake of the podcast, I'd like to add in a second question. Um, Ooh, bonus. We, yeah, <laughs> bonus question. Do, do we even want our eyes to be opened to all yeah. that is, you know, spiritual around us? Yeah. I mean, is that something we even mm-hmm. desire? You know, I think, I think that's probably a, a struggle that most of us face. You know, I, I'm getting to that point where I, I more and more want, and I, I want the presence of God to be at work in my life like I never have before. Yeah. I want the presence of God to be at work in our church like I have never before. I mean, I've had moments where I am on the ground, on my, on my knees and, and, and on my face, begging God to pour out His presence upon us as a people, to pour out His presence upon this community where, where I want for nothing more than for God to move. But, but can I be so honest and say, I mean, this is a, this is a somewhat recent thing. I mean, this is something that's happened in the last few years where I just, man, I just want to see God move. Mm -hmm. I want to see him do things that only he can do that we'll never be able to do if he's not working here through us, you know? I mean, it it, it comes back to this idea about the presence of God, right? You know, I think we've got to want as the people of God to see the presence of God outpoured upon us and upon our surrounding community. We've got to want that. But I'm not so certain that we always do. Mm-hmm. I don't know how many people, and, and I don't think it's that we necessarily don't want it. So not, I don't want to put it in the negative. Mm-hmm. I want to say maybe that we're almost more ignorant about the fact that we should want it, if that makes sense. Yeah. You know, so I think you know, that would be the second question. You know, so yeah, what would it look like? But do we even know that we should be wanting that with everything we have? What if someone's listening to us today and they would say, I don't, I don't want that. Or maybe mm-hmm. even not quite so strong, but they yeah. would say, I want to want that, but I yes. don't want that yet. Um, yes. <laughs> to say it in the most confusing way. But um, where, where, where do you start if someone is, they, they're, they're tracking with us, they yes. hear the imperative of the Spirit. Maybe that's something that they are, they're having a little bit of a revelation in their right. life that this is something that they need to want, but they're just not there yet. They're not there yet emotionally. They're not there yet cognitively. It's just not something that they're desiring. Where do we start? Where do we begin? Yeah, I I think I would want to start with just an acknowledgement that that, um, the unknown is always a little bit frightening. And Mm -hmm. and herein lies part of our problem is that the the spirit, which by the way, God is God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, that the spirit um, the person of the Spirit is largely unknown to us as a people. Mm-hmm. So we're comfortable with God the Father. We're comfortable with Jesus the, the Son, especially in the flesh. Uh, we'll, we'll touch on that one a little bit more next week too. Um, but boy, we're uncomfortable yeah. with God the Spirit because we don't have any, any engagement with the Spirit. Um, you know, I mean, we, mm-hmm. we even tend to call the Holy Spirit it instead of He. And Scripture yeah. over and over again talks about he, yeah. the Holy Spirit, as a person. Yeah. So, you know, again, not that we're trying to throw 
genders on God. God just does that so that we can understand him, I think. Um, but the, what's important about that is the Holy Spirit is not called it. The Holy Spirit is always referred to with a personal pronoun, yeah. he. Yeah. So again, I think you know that, that's, that's a big piece is just to acknowledge that we are, are in a real deficit. We find ourselves at a real deficit because we have not talked about the Spirit a lot. So if there's anybody struggling with that, I think you're in an okay place to be at that spot where you're afraid because you're afraid of what is unknown. Well, we as human beings are always afraid, afraid of what is unknown. So maybe right? that person might need to hear is that just getting to a spot of, yes. if you get to a spot where you want to want that. That's good. Maybe that's a good step. That's, that's a, a good really good first step. step. No, yeah. that's a really good step. And, and I think... Maybe don't stay there. Hopefully right. keep progressing forward, but that's a good forward. step in the right direction. I think for many of us, the big practical thing that, that we need to do this week, and, and a lot of our practical pieces, especially as, as we're talking about trying to understand our presuppositions, especially our culturally rooted presuppositions, um, especially those that don't help us grow spiritually, we need to be able to take a step back and try to examine what cultural prepositions, presuppositions have I embraced that actually keep me from taking a step forward in growing spiritually mm -hmm. or embracing mm -hmm. the presence and the work of the Holy Spirit? And I think certainly we've, we've laid out a really big one, uh, I think, this week. You know, I think the first one being that, that many of us are more influenced by the prevailing belief of culture, of, again, of, of secular thought, of naturalist thought, that says we don't need a spiritual explanation for anything. Mm -hmm. So we've been mm -hmm. so influenced by that thought that we don't pursue, I think, a relationship with the Holy Spirit. We don't pursue engagement yeah. with the Holy yeah. Spirit. We don't desire the presence, the outpouring of the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so, um, you know, can I go so far as to call that a prejudice against the Holy Spirit to some degree? Mm. I mean, we are, we are prejudiced against the, the, the Spirit, the experience, I should say, of the Holy Spirit, because we've been taught not to expect to experience anything spiritual. So most of us as Christians, I think we sit at this place where we do believe that one day Jesus will return and we're gonna experience everything spiritual, but we kind of feel like there's a limitation upon us right now to where we can't really experience much spiritual in this reality, where as we'll learn next week, that is not at all the expectation of Jesus. Or even as we talked about at the beginning of this podcast, as I'm setting the stage for this series, the promise that Peter made in Acts 2.38 and then again in Acts 3.19. And by the way, in 2.38, he says at the end of that, this promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, all who are going to come to follow Jesus. Everybody. The promise of forgiveness of sins, of the, of the receiving of the Holy Spirit, mm -hmm. and then the presence of or the outpouring of the presence of God that leads to time of times of refreshing. You know, again, yeah. we talk about that yeah. in renewal, revival, and awakening. This promise is for all who are to come. Yeah. So I think we have forgotten that that was our promise too. So we look at the Holy Spirit as maybe the main character of Acts. Maybe maybe some people would even go that far. I think a lot of Christians would and say, yeah, the Holy Spirit was the Holy Spirit was very active during the Book of Acts. But we now live in a world where we're not so sure. And so I think, again, we, my call would be for all those who are uh, listening to us this month on this podcast, 
very practical. Sometimes it's a practical step just to say, I need to be more open-minded and open-hearted to the possibility that the conclusions that I've arrived at are actually not rooted in scripture, but rooted in culture, are yeah. rooted in modernity, yeah. are rooted in secularism, are rooted in naturalism, and not the words of God. Mm. So I think that's a big thing. I think we just, you know, we have to be willing to take that step backward and ask that question. That's really good. I mean, I could see a few maybe very practical steps that could come out of that for someone as we think towards opening your heart and mind. Maybe for you that could look like, maybe that's just a time of prayer this yeah. week, of humbling yourself, yes. of examine, examining yes. what you have believed, humbling yourself, opening yourself up to, and actually saying this to God in yes. prayer, of opening yourself up to saying, God, I want, I want to see your work. I want to see how the spiritual reality of how you're working in the world. I want to be renewed, revive, revived to yes. be able to see that. Uh, maybe for some folks, I could also see that there could be a cognitive component to yes. that. And maybe something that An you need to, to yeah. learn, right? Of some mm -hmm. things you actually, you need to spend some time maybe reading Acts with new eyes and yes. seeing how the Spirit is at work through that whole book. Or uh, I'm putting you on the spot here, but are there any resources you might recommend uh, yeah. of maybe something you might recommend yes. to start reading this month? One book that yeah, we talked about, uh, Francis Chan, maybe? Yes, I, I will link three three books in the show notes okay. this week. Um, the first one is, yeah, Francis Francis Chan's book, um, which is called Forgotten God. So, yeah, I mean, really he's good. making the case that well. in that, that, you know, we've got God in three persons, but we've forgotten one of those persons of yeah. the Trinity. Um, so Francis Chan's Forgotten God, really good book. Uh, the next one that I would recommend is A Spirit for the Rest of Us, which really deals with those okay. of us who are more raised in intellectual traditions or written to those okay. of us who are raised in more intellectual yeah. traditions saying, okay, we're nervous of the charismatic embrace of the Holy Spirit, um, but we also don't want to be a people who only believe that the Holy Spirit works, for example, through the pages of Scripture, and He's not alive and moving and breathing and dwelling today. Yeah. We want the presence of God at work in our lives, so we've become those okay. people who desire that. So that book is written to that. Uh, author is Tim Woodruff. Uh, Give me that title one more time. Um, it is A Spirit for the Rest of Us. Spirit for the Rest of Us. And and, we'll um, link all this, but yeah. The okay. last one is a little book that uh, David Young wrote with uh, Renew.org um, okay. about the Holy Spirit. Just five chapters, very short book. I'll okay. link that one. Uh, as well. And what was that one called? Um, I am drawing a blank on what that one was called. <laughs> okay, yeah. um, maybe the work of the Holy Spirit, something along okay. those lines. Um, and we'll, we'll talk about that one more next week. We'll link, probably link that one in, in the show notes as well next week. Um, you know, so yeah, I'd say maybe, maybe I could end with this practical piece. Uh, incredible promise in Scripture as it relates to the Holy Spirit. Now, we've already talked about two incredible promises from Acts 2.38, Acts 3.19. Here's one more incredible promise. Um, in the three synoptic gospels, Jesus tells this same parable of, you know, um, a child going to a father asking for, for something. And he says, you know, if your child asks you for, for bread, you're not going to give him a snake or a stone. Or not, I mean, so, so your kids ask you for good things. You're, you're not going to give them junk and garbage, right? You're going to give them good things. And, and you know, most of those, the conclusion is, um, it, well, it's at least it's different than it is in Luke. So Luke mm -hmm. concludes with this. He says these words, not how much more will your heavenly Father give good things to those who ask, which is the conclusion I think in Mark and Matthew. In Luke, the conclusion is, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Yeah. 
That's that's a big promise. Yeah. That's a big promise. And, you know, I, I know that, you know, we would say uh, Acts 2.38 tells us that we receive the Spirit at, at, uh, at the point of baptism. And I, I'm not discounting that. In fact, I agree with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but the trouble is, you know, often when, I mean, often when we see baptisms done, we only focus on the first piece of the first promise of Acts 2.38, the forgiveness of sins, that mm-hmm. Jesus has forgiven our sins. And we don't even say a thing about the second piece is, mm. and the Holy Spirit is going to come in and dwell you. So maybe that's never hit you before, that there is this promise in Scripture tied to this moment that we, we accept and receive uh, Jesus, the moment that we put Him on in baptism. The Holy Spirit is supposed to come in and dwell you at that moment, but you may not have received or accepted or desired the work of the Holy Spirit in your life at that moment. And if you are, um, there's this promise that if you pray to God, again, I'm not saying you don't have the Holy Spirit, I'm just saying, Maybe you haven't become aware of that. Allow that promise that Jesus makes in Luke to reassure you that it's not too late to reach out to God and say, I desire the work of the Holy Spirit in my life. And the promise that Jesus makes there is the, Holy, the Father will not deny you mm. the Holy Spirit in your life if you pray that prayer. So you know, if you pray and ask for the Holy Spirit to come and work in your life. and so. You know, maybe that, I think that's a real practical piece too. So I think it's, it's on a number of different levels. I think for some people, it's knocking down the prejudices that, that are there. You know, we're nervous because we don't want to embrace the Holy Spirit the way we've seen some Christian groups embrace the Holy Spirit. We're nervous because we don't want to be judged by the people of this world, maybe even our family, maybe other Christians within our church. Um, so check your prejudices on that. And then maybe yeah. for others, just find some time to, to pray in faith. And trust that God will keep His promise and that you'll start to see what it looks like. And we're going to be dealing with that for this whole series when the Holy Spirit starts to work in your life. So, I've said this a couple times, but as we close, let me one more thing. I just have to ask you to do as we wrap up and to put on your pastoral hat here, if you would. And would you just, can we just close in praying together? Yeah. And can we just pray? for our audience, for yes. everyone listening right now. And if you're driving, you don't need to close your eyes right now. Um, it's always good advice. You can pray along with us. <laughs> so, but yes. would you just close and just praying, just praying over our audience to just be, yes. to be renewed in this. And then I'll wrap us up. I will. God, we just, um, first, I, I just come to you on behalf of those who, um, who desire the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Father, knowing that you have promised that you would send the Holy Spirit, knowing, Jesus, that you told us it was better for us if you left so that you could send the Holy Spirit, believing in faith that the promises of Acts 2.38 and 3.19 are for us, that, God, you will send your Holy Spirit to indwell us, and that we'll experience times of refreshing because of the presence of the Lord in our lives. Father, so for those who desire that, again, just going to the promise that Jesus made in Luke uh, as well, that that those who pray, the whole, that, that you will not deny us the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, Father. Um, I just want to pray first for that group, that you will send the presence of the Holy Spirit in a powerful and mighty way. And for those who have questions this morning, Father, I pray that we'll be willing to challenge our, 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 presid- our prejudices, our biases, our presuppositions, um, especially when we believed what this world has told us more than we believe what you tell us. Mm. God, may we hear your words. May we hear your voice as you've promised. Um, Jesus, your sheep know your voice. 
May we be the people who know your voice. So lead us this week. Uh, Make us more open-minded and more open-hearted so that our eyes may be open to the way that the Spirit is working in this world around us. We pray this in Jesus' name and amen. 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 Well, thank you, Paul. So, and thank you all for joining us again today. Uh, we would we always value your feedback. Absolutely. So if you just can just let us know, drop us a note, let us know how how this podcast is going, what you're liking about it. Uh, we we always appreciate that, and we hope you'll continue to be tuning in over mm-hmm. this month as we're diving in to this series for the whole month of March. So yes, we're excited to continue this conversation next week, and we look forward to y'all joining us again. Thank you. God bless you. We'll see you then.